Welcome to the Water People Podcast. Today, we're in conversation with the godmother of British surfing, Gwen Haslock, who has nearly six decades of surfing under her belt. This season is supported by Patagonia, whose purpose-driven mission is to use business to save our home planet. We acknowledge the Bundjalung Nation, the first and ongoing custodians of the land and waters where we work and play, who have lived, worked, and cared for this sea country for tens of thousands of years. Respect and gratitude to all First Nations people who continue to practice the cultural, spiritual, and educational customs of their ancestors. Gwyn was born in Cornwall in 1945 and is renowned as one of the UK's original surfers. She holds many competitive surfing accolades, including multiple British National Championship titles. I first heard about and wrote about Gwyn's story in 2015 after connecting with English bellyboarding enthusiast Sally Parkin, who at the time said, quote, I'm not sure who you would say started men's competitive surfing, but there is no doubt in my mind that Gwyn Haslock started women's stand-up surfing in England. She entered the first-ever British National Championships in 1966. She was the only female competitor, and it was because of her that the surfing organizers started a ladies' national championship in 1969. There were six competitors, and Gwyn won. She went on to win the first-ever British Ladies Surfing Championships in 1970, 1971, 1972, 1973, and 1974, and she came second in 1975 and won again in 1976. She also won the English Surfing Championships in 1990. What incredible longevity in her competitive surfing career. This conversation with Gwyn was only possible because Sally sent me a last-minute message that she was on her way over to visit Gwyn, who is happily tech-skeptical, by the way. And so Sally was able to get the digital conversation rolling. You'll hear Sally's voice pop in a couple of times. Thank you so much, Sally, for your important work in uh, contributing to surf culture and preserving surf history through the original surfboard company and through your own storytelling. There are too many missing links in the history of surfing, so I'm always so grateful to encounter the stories of our surfing foremothers and to share them before they disappear. Our line was a little sketchy at times, but I hope you enjoy hearing from one of the great elders of surf culture, Gwyn Haslock. <laughs> oh, thank you both so much. It is such a pleasure to see you both and to um, to get to meet you both. Thank you so much for your time. Nice well, well, we met through the passion of bellyboarding, didn't we? We did, yes. That bellyboarding oh. surfing, that's how we met, wasn't it? We did, yes. Quite a few years ago now. I think yes. About, yeah. But, you know, I'm, I like stand-up surfing still, but I'm mm. slowed up a hell of a lot because of my age. <laughs> so you're bellyboarding now more? Uh, no. No, no I, I like to take the, the long board in, you know. Yeah. Anyhow, what's yeah. your question? Yeah. The first question is a question that we always begin with when we chat from ver- you know, with various water people from an- around the world. And that question is about a time or experience after which you were never the same. Do you have a story like that that you'd be willing to share with us? Well, relating to water, I've always loved going in the sea from the age of four. And having an older brother and my enthusiastic father, we used to go down to our local beach to swim. Then we used to go over to Newquay 
And then, of course, we started the belly boarding in the 50s. And then in the early 60s, I saw these lifeguards zooming along on their stand-up board, Malibu. We called them Malibu boards in those days, 10 foot mm. long. And I thought, oh, I'd love to have a go at that. And my brother had a go because he was older than me. And um, that's how I started with the stand-up surfing in the early 60s, mm. seeing the lifeguards. Uh, we had a very good lifeguard called Jack Lidgate from Hawaii. He was over here at a mm. university. And um, he was very helpful and also a local person called um, Trevor Roberts who took me into the sea for my first time for a stand-up surfing. But I've always gone back to my belly boarding roots because to me that's still surfing, it's part of surfing. You learn the, the formation of waves and that sort of thing. And what about a non-surfing story in that same vein? Well, I, I was saying, I think when my father died quite young, I was 21, he was only 65. And I think you learn that um, you've got to take every day as it counts, really. Um, you know, enjoy yourself every day. <laughs> Were you close with your father? Yes. He, well, he was an enthusiastic sport person, but I was close to my mother. So I carried on living with my mother. We sort of supported each other. And um, that I, I never married. I carried on living with my mother and she died about 10 years ago. She had a little bit of memory mm. loss. So that was a bit not very nice. But she always supported me. In my, although she didn't like the sea and frightened of the water, she always supported me in my surfing and activities and also my brother. So what he did, I always sort of follow. He's four years older than me. And he went to, Nor he went to Northern Ireland. To he married a girl from Northern Ireland. So I went over to Ireland quite a bit, Donegal surfing. Because that's where he was mm. in the sixties. So, Glenn, there's um, there's a story that I've heard about you that really captured my curiosity as someone who's interested in the way that surfers and especially female surfers are represented in the media. And that story is about you winning a number of British surf contests on at least one occasion. You were asked to hand your trophy over to another woman on the beach to take the media photo. Can you talk me through that experience? I don't know if it's the trophy, but sort of surfboard, you know, to sort of show off women. The thing is, how, like you, have flowing hair and everything. You know what I mean? It was, it, that's the image of what I call women's surfer. But I've always had short hair because I hate my hair getting in my way. And I've always worn mm. bathing hats, which is another symbol of me. I've always wore a bathing hat. Now I wear a helmet because there's so many people out in the water and it's safer, I think, to wear a helmet. I don't know why more people don't because it's, it's not what you do, it's what other people do. <laughs> so uh, that sort mm. of thing happens. But um, this business of women against men, men, the men have always encouraged me. Most of the men surfers have always been very good and encouraged me. But that's life, isn't it? You always get these uh, press people want an image, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I, my sort of career in surfing has been largely devoted to trying to get more women involved in film and in surf magazines and just trying to 
have more women included in the representation of what it looks like to be a surfer outside of being very sexualized. And so I guess what captures my imagination about your story is that was one of the early examples of how a particular and very narrow image of what it meant to be a female surfer was sort of getting woven into the media. Yes, I mean, in the early days, obviously, the men got more sponsorship. I'm, I've never really had a proper sponsorship, not that I wanted it, because I feel you got to be doing what that sponsorship wants. So I'd always be what I call pure amateur. Uh, but uh, luckily, I think it came more, you know, when I sort of semi-half retired, I think the women there were getting more professional. Linda Sharp from Wales was one of the people that pushed women surfing and um i think she was the, really the first person to sort of make it more professional if you see what i mean uh, mm. which is good i mean there's a lot of women now surfing on the beaches if you go down there's all, all, a lot of ladies surfing which is good to see mm. you mentioned that you were the first british ladies surf champion yes what what were those early contests like? Were, are you a competitive person by nature? Uh, I'm a competitive person in that um, I like to do the best for myself. Well, you want to win. Um, but uh, in those days, there weren't a lot of ladies. It would probably be one heat of six women in a final, if you see what the first contest. There would be about six mm. or eight. There might be two heats, usually maybe one. Uh, and then it, of course, grew and grew and grew, which was good. But um, in the early days, there were a lot of ladies because, to be fair, you would probably have to have a car to travel. I mean, I was that was my first project was to learn to drive so I could be independent. You know, I saved up to have a car and so I could, you know, ca carry my own surfboard. But perhaps a lot of girls didn't have that because you'd get to a beach, you got... In court, you've got to have a car unless you live mm. right by it. Because I don't mm. actually live by the, the sea. I live inland near Truro. And you um, devoted quite a lot of your adult life to caring for your mother. Well, I mean, to be fair, she cared a lot for me. I mean, it went both ways. But until the end, about about three years at the end, she, she failed. And unfortunately, you get this sort of memory loss. She wasn't too bad, but... Uh, that's life, isn't it? You you know, but but you know, to be fair, she she had you know she cared for me and I cared for her. So that's the way it was, sort of thing. And my brother's mm, been very good. He's good. very good. He's married. He's got uh, children and grandchildren, and they're always been very good to me. He always rings me up every night, so I can't grumble. <laughs> <laughs> there, um, you're often known or often considered the first stand-up female surfer in the UK? I wouldn't like to say I was the first stand. I was saying to Sally, I would like to say that. I don't know what was happening in Wales, Scotland, Jersey, because Jersey was a surfing. I don't know what was happening down mm -hmm. here in St Ives. I was ba mainly based in Newquay. It could have been people imbued or whatever. I don't know. Um I mean, you just didn't meet a lot of other people. I'm sure there were other pe ladies surfing. I can't say that, really. Mm. Um, I was curious to ask you about another standout Shiro, as I like to, to call women like yourself who have pioneered in the sport of surfing, and that's um, Princess Kayulani 
from Hawaii. She She traveled to England in the 1890s. Do you know anything of the lore of her time there? And if she and yeah, but Sally Atlantic? does, don't you? Because Sally's done investigation on all this stuff. Yes, uh, Sally does. Sally, jump in with us. Uh, yes. <laughs> I think the, the British uh, Museum of Surfing did some research and have some information. Um, they believe that she did go out and use a stand-up board. Um, but I'm not sure how... Um, you know, whether they've got factual sort of proof of that. But I think there's, mm. there was a letter. Um, but I certainly think it's true to yes. say that Gwyn was the first um, lady in the UK to win and even to start the UK competitions. Yeah, yes, yes, that's like right. To... My first competition was with the men because there was no ladies in it. So I entered it. I, I came third in my – I didn't progress – but I went in it really to learn from the other surfers and to see how I could compare. Um, as I say, I came about third in my heat, and that was about it, really, third out of four. But uh, they gave me a little pendant because I was the only lady surfer. <laughs> so that was, that was, yeah, that was my first competition. And then they have competitions for ladies because there were more. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a Sarah Newlin. In fact, you might know her because her brother was Mike Newlin, Trigger Newlin, that they lit, now live in Australia. Uh, mm-hmm. And Sarah moved out there. But I think, unfortunately, she died about a couple of years ago. She oh. was called Sarah. But I think her maiden name, uh, married name was uh, Mac, uh, Mac something. But uh, do you know Mike Newlin or Tigger Newlin at all? No, no, they were they were British people that went out to Australia. I think Mike Newlin did quite well in some of the contests, but Sarah mm. Newlin was one of the early surfers. But uh, they moved out to Australia. Did it strike you as a particularly radical thing to be doing uh, surfing as a young woman in the late sixties in in the world that you were growing up in? Um, well, I, I just, I don't know whether it was radical. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. So I, I did what I enjoyed. <laughs> and as I say, having an older brother, what he did, I did. And, uh, the people around me on the beat, the lifeguards knew us as a family. They were always encouraging and helpful. So I didn't see anything out of the normal, really. I just wanted to do it, and that's what, what, why I had the opportunity to do it, and that's why I started doing it, really. It's just this, you know, surfing is lovely, whatever form you do, whether it's belly boarding or stand-up or whatever, any form mm. of... If you catch a wave, it's a thrill, isn't it? Whatever, if, if, even if it's a lilo. <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. I mean, it... It has captured my heart and and my love for the last 20 years already, and I hope that I get to keep surfing for as long as you have been and longer. Well, as I say, I've slowed up, but I still paddle out and get... If I get one nice ride, I'm happy, you know. Mm. <laughs> it, it's the paddling out now. I, 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 a couple of feet offshore is just nice for me. If it's bigger, it's a struggle to get out, really. But uh, you just do things within your limitations. And I, uh, I, I go in about three or four times a week. Do you do anything to keep up your fitness outside of the water? I play tennis. Uh, I belong to the Tro Tennis Club. I was down there playing last night. That uh, helps me. I used to do fancy, but that stopped with the virus and... Um, 
I haven't gone back to that. I may go back to it. I don't know. Fencing, you know, foils and mm. sabre and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and I do a lot of gardening because I've got to keep the garden and the property. You've got to do painting and stuff like that. So there's always things to do. There was there was a talented Californian surfer by the name of Rosemary Reamers Rice, who I've read spoke about the importance of, quote, carrying your own surfboards. You've also spoken about this. Yes. And it feels like a kind of metaphor for women trusting in their own strength at a time when maybe that wasn't necessarily encouraged for women to be powerful in their physical bodies. I was wondering if you could speak to that. I'm, I'm an independent person, and I feel if you can't carry your surfboard, there's no point in... In fact, my latest surfboard, which was made specially for me, they wanted it this wide and that. So I said, no, I want it a bit thinner because I can't get my arm around it. So what's the point? What's the point if, go, if I can't carry the surfboard down... I wanted it, you know, mm. I could carry it and lighter because I, I couldn't now carry my rigid, I mean, I, my original form was 10 feet, which my brother's got actually, and heavy. I, I don't think I could lift it up now. So you, 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 wow. you it, what's the point of uh, not being able to carry your surfboard? Because uh, usually now I go with my friend and we go about seven o'clock in the morning you know, to avoid crowds and stuff like that. So you, you've got to carry your own surfboard. There's no point in... <laughs> that, that's my <laughs> philosophy, uh, you know. Yeah, I'm right there with you. A lot of us, a lot of us struggle to find a balance between a rich surfing life and the responsibilities and obligations of being an adult how have you navigated that balance? Well, as I say, I'm, I've not been married and I haven't had children, so I haven't had that responsibility. But I, I did work. I worked at the Cornwall Council to earn my living and got a, pen, I got a pension from it. So I worked there for 46 years as just a shorthand type as clerk. So I, I was really a nine-to-five person. So I wasn't really one of these surfers in the surfing industry. I always call myself what I call a- amateur weekend surfer or even, you know, go in the evenings. I'm not one of these people who worked in the industry, would go in every day and sort of yeah. uh, lived, you know, some surfers just absolutely live for their surfing, which I do slightly, but there's other things in life. <laughs> you know, I like to play tennis and you do have certain other responsibilities. Apologies for interrupting the conversation, but we'd like to take a moment to recognize the generous folks who help make this podcast possible. Sun Butter Skincare is committed to protecting people and the planet. They make vegan, reef-safe SPF 50 sunscreen packaged in reusable and recyclable tins. They're also the world's first certified palm oil-free sunscreen brand. Check out sunbutter.com.au to learn more about their skin and ocean-friendly lines of sunscreen, surf zinc, and skin care. Sanook has been advocating for a more playful and inclusive surfing culture for more than two decades, while crafting some of the comfiest footwear around. Thanks, Sanook, for your support and for encouraging water people around the globe to protect their happy places. Learn more about Sunuk's partnership with the Surfrider Foundation at sunuk.com. Thanks also to Gary McNeil Concepts, who make cosmic surfboards for cosmic people. 
Gaz's boards combine recycled and plant-based materials that are built to last without sacrificing performance. To learn more, head to GaryMcNeilConcepts.com. Was it a um, an overt, and this may be a bit too forward, please excuse my manners if it is, was it an overt decision for you to sidestep traditional family marriage life? Uh, I, I think I'm too independent, really. I don't... Uh... <laughs> I wouldn't wish that on any sort of man, really. <laughs> I, I think it's just the way you, you are. I mean, some people say, oh, you've got to get married or whatever to be happy. Well, I'm one of these people, I'm happy not being married. Um, and that that's everybody's different, aren't they? I mean, I, I like to socialise, and I think I got, I've always preferred actually men's company to ladies' company. I, I, it's just... Um, the way I think I'm too independent to have got married, to be honest. How wonderful. I love that about you. <laughs> and um, as, for, as I say, I worked for the council for 46 years. And people say, oh, what are you going to do when you, are you going to do volunteers work and all that sort of thing? Well, I'm now enjoying my surfing more. Now I'm retired because I haven't got the commitment of work. I can go... <laughs> When I want to, although as I say, I'm getting older and limited, but I could still I can enjoy the water more. I haven't got to worry about rushing back for work or whatever. So in some ways, some people can look forward to retirement if they keep fit. In retirement, I th- I find I found it more enjoyable now than in some ways before. That sounds a bit dark, doesn't it? No, that sounds hopeful to me. <laughs> Um, what I was going to say, uh, talking about women's portrayal, um, I had a German company that came over, um, called Dorothy from Berlin and she did a film called Chicks on Boards. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, she did a very good film about five surfers from different countries and conveying that business of, um, what women have to go through, like in India, South Africa, the Gaza Strip. So I don't know if you've seen that mm. one. She she did a very good job, actually, because we were discussing this about the media and how some of them mm. aren't very good. You know, they've got no idea of surfing and, you know, you explain I want to go at a certain time because of the tides, etc. They haven't got any idea. But they were, they were very good. And she was spent the, oh, about uh, three days over here in Newquay. But she did um, a portrayal of other surfers from South Africa, India, and a Hawaiian lady uh, who's quite famous, but I've forgotten. So you might want to look that one up. Fantastic. Do you have any temptation for exploring warmer waters? Uh, well, I, I'm one of the, I'm a home bird, really. I, I've got a, to be uh, to be fair. I've got no indication. I never wanted to go to Australia. <laughs> it's a long way. Um, you've got a lot of uh, alligators and water snakes and jellyfish uh, and sharks and things like that. So it's really put me off. It's a long way to go. So I've never I've never really. I'm sure it's a lovely country. I think I would prefer, mm. I mean, a lot of people like going to New Zealand, but I think I would prefer to go to Australia than New Zealand, actually. But I don't mm. think I'll ever get there. It's a long way. You've been to Ireland, not? Yeah, I've been to North, yes, uh, Northern Ireland, and I've, been, I've surfed at Portugal, 
uh, Buritz mm-hmm. area. That's very nice, the Buritz area. Um, so that that's the only places I've been to. I've been to America, but not surfed there at all. When I, mm-hmm. I was there, we went down the coastline. It looked very nice, Malibu, but I wasn't that impressed with the beaches, actually. <laughs> I thought our beaches and your beaches were much, are much nicer. Have you been to California? I'm actually from Florida. Well, I, I didn't go there, so I can't say anything about Florida. That's all right. You're not missing much. <laughs> It's warm. It is very warm. I'll give it that. The only thing about Florida is that Kelly Slater comes from there and that I'm a great admirer of Kelly Slater. <laughs> Me too. Who else? Which other Which other surfing greats have captured your um, well, interest? Well, the ladies influential was a lady called Margot Godfrey. I don't know if she's called that now. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was in surfing magazines. I think she's still... uh, She was really my lady influence, I think. But men-wise, it was people on the beach. um, But uh, uh, I suppose it would be Corky Carroll around that time, those sort of people. But it's mainly the surfers on Newquay Beach and a chap called Rodney Sumter. He came from Britain to Australia, back here again. He was the first professional surfer over here he he was very very good he was i think third in the world and i think at one time friends with nat young one time mm. but i don't know if they are <laughs> we were talking about <laughs> internal politics yeah. of surfing that comes into it doesn't it rodney Sumter was an endless summer wasn't <laughs> yeah mm. Mm. in any sport you get internal politics don't you you sure do can be quite humorous i think <laughs> I mean, if I go in the water, I tend to try and go away from people. You know, you can see the mm-hmm. breakers working, but do you want to be trying to get mixed up? You know, I'd rather go back down to even if it's the wave is worse. I'd rather go away from people than try to <laughs> compete on their best peak, if you see what I mean. Yep, I can relate to that strategy, absolutely. Gwen, after... Is, are you in your sixth decade of surfing? Fifth decade of surfing? Well, I'm, I'm now 76. Can you hear me? I'm, I'm now 76. So I started surfing with the belly boards in the 1950s. And I started the Malibu or stand-up surfing in 1965. Have you, over that time, over those decades, have you noticed any particular strengths or weaknesses that surfers tend to have in life on land or in the water? I suppose the strength is the surfing community do come together if there's a problem or like a death or something like that. Um, uh, Weaknesses, um, that's difficult. I don't really notice, as I say, I do my own thing. I don't really notice what other people are doing, if you see what Mm. But, but I think the I, I think some I think the surfing community do come together and like to speak to each other, don't they? Definitely. Yeah, it's been a it's been a rich source of friendship and um and just a global community. Inter- international wise, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. D- definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what have what have been the, the biggest changes for you in in surf culture? Uh, well, I th- think there's definitely more women. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if, when I go in the water, there's sometimes more women than men. 
um, definitely more lady surfers have come into the sport. Mm. Um, How do you feel about being responsible for some for many of us wanting to start surfing? How does that land for you? Well, it's it's nice to see that pe- I, I like to see people enjoy themselves. That's what to me is surfing is about is enjoyment. Um, mm. uh, and well, of course, the difference is the technology of it all. I mean, when I first started, oh, we didn't have wetsuits. It was just a swimsuit. That's what we had, just a swimsuit. And then, and will, were you wearing woolly jumpers in winter? Um, yeah, in the autumn, we, you put a woolly jumper on. And then, I mean, obviously the winter, well, for me, it was cold. Um, and then that somebody decided to start to make wetsuits. That's how it, my first wetsuit actually was a diving suit which sipped up at the front. So that was my first suit to keep me warm in the winter. And then the, mm. the technology's improved all the time. Even with wetsuits, that's improving, isn't it? They're more lighter and flexible. And as I say, I, I now wear a helmet. I, I wear a helmet in the water, that sort of thing. When I first started, there was no leashes. You just went in with your surfboard. Mm. You didn't have a leash. And then it came compulsory you were in a contest to wear a leash. But um, we had no leashes. Mm. You just learnt to hold on to your surfboard. Or That's another thing I say to people. They say about how, how do I start surfing? I say, well, the first thing is, can you swim? Because if you can't, if you come off your surfboard and you can't swim, there's no point. Is there? <laughs> I think a lot of people go in the water and they can't swim properly. Mm. you've got to be prepared when speaking of speaking of technology um you i i heard you mention you were interested in surfing at the wave pool nearby to you did you end up doing that i listened to a podcast that's near bristol yes no i haven't managed to do that no the virus has hit a lot of things really uh although they have opened and it's just another journey although it's not far from where my brother lives and my nephew's been on it but um, perhaps one day I'll, I'll get to it, but I haven't up to now. What do you see as the greatest success of your life thus far? Well, I managed to live as long as I, have. <laughs> I think I'd be happy. I mean, um, that's the thing is to keep happy. I mean, you know, with this virus, a lot of people said, oh, it brought them down. But I, again, I've been lucky. I I've, I lived in a nice area and was, I was able to walk or cycle around my area. Um, so I, I've done, I've been very lucky, really. You'd just... like to explain about your surfing during COVID. Oh, yes, yes, up. that's right. I took my surfboard out in the garden and did exercises, you know, put it on a chair and sort of did paddling exercises and things like that. Because, well... I know people were surfing in Yuki, and so I expect some people even travel, but I didn't. I kept to the rules and kept home, and like most people did. So uh, mm. I just put a surfboard in the garden and, you know, practiced the paddling and standing up and exercises. But when I got back to it, I, you, it's, you do lose your energy or your uh, how to do it. I was surprised, really how I had to get back to it. it doing exercises and not what is not the same as actually doing it is a completely different mm. exercise it does keep you fit surfing I think 
Definitely. Mm. That's all my questions. We've gotten to the end of them. <laughs> well, it's been lovely to meet you. And uh, you're still out there in the water, obviously. Are you? You're still Oh, still- yes. Oh, as much as possible. I'm absolutely head over heels. Where, where is it you surf still. mostly? <laughs> we live near to Byron Bay, which uh, there there are a few beautiful right-hand point breaks nearby that I just, I mean, I grew up in Florida, like Kelly Slater, surfing very small, piddly little waves. And so I just cannot get enough of the point breaks in Australia. They're just delicious. Yeah, we don't have a lot of point breaks, do we? Here, it's all sort of beach breaks. So, it, mm. so it's easy to paddle out, I suppose, to these places, isn't it? No, we haven't got it that is. luxury, have we? <laughs> <laughs> have you been over to England, Lauren? Um, I ha- only once, and I wasn't. It was before I was surfing much, so I haven't gotten to surf there. But I hope one day to come over and get to share some water time with you both. That would be an absolute privilege and a pleasure. We get we get a lot of the Australians uh, this time doing the lifeguarding. Mm. I noticed. Mm. I, in fact, I, I I hadn't seen a lot recently, but I noticed there were. Uh, quite a, f- a few in the surf shop the other mm-hmm. day, and I say, "What are you doing?" They say, "Oh, we're lifeguarding." So obviously, they've made the mm. trip over here yeah. for the summer because it's your winter, obviously. Mm. But as you yeah. probably know, um, well, Tom Wagner came uh, ended up being in Newquay because he was on as a European tour, and he didn't really know about the British belly boards at all then, or just before he found out about them. So that he was amazed to find out that this there was this culture because I think it's really died out in Australia. Um, mm. But that was a, a trigger um, of him being interested in developing the the wooden board that was a combination of the Hawaiian yeah. and the British ones. Um, but yeah, I think it's a shame it's it sort of died out in Australia. It'd be great to hope that it might revive but it's it's really reviving here now, well i think it? the best about the belly board is it's accessible yeah it's accessible to most people easy to carry again or if um, the waves aren't good yeah like that's yeah, what's happening or, now well yeah. even if they i mean if they're good you've got like people like alan stokes they go out the yeah. back with flippers and they really get some good rides with it yeah um so it, it's it it I, I think that's what I like about belly boards, accessible to most people. Yeah. Uh, if you're elderly, you don't want to go out very far, you just get the little white water waves, but you still get the thrill of surfing in. Well, and it's very inclusive, so you could maybe get very talented male servers. I think what we've I've seen in Cornwall well, is lovely. Servers. <laughs> well, oh, what I'm saying about the partnership before, <laughs> yeah, and you get very talented lady servers, but it's inclusive, that's <laughs> what I was going to say, that... In the early days, there were very successful male surfers, yes, yeah, and yeah. the partners felt um, excluded. Yeah. Whereas when they started using the belly boards, it was something that they could, could do, do together. Yes, yeah. That's no, what no, that's what I like. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we noticed in Newquay, uh, very good stand-up surfers now prefer to go out belly boarding. Mm. Um, hmm. They they enjoy it. it's more accessible. They get it's, out the back and. You haven't got, you know, the hassle of carrying your board or mm. sort of being in the crowd of people. You just do your own thing. Well, it's been a long mm. time coming, I think. 
so I started sort of well, jumping up and down about it. It is fantastic to see. There has been a real resurgence, yeah, hasn't there, no, just no, in the that, last definitely, few years. Definitely, definitely cool. Well, and Devon, obviously. Yeah. I mentioned Devon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyhow, it's been lovely to meet yeah. you. Such such a pleasure, such an honour to get to meet you this way. Gwen, thank you so much. Yes. That's all right. Well, when we're together again, I think it's the technology. Yeah, so I, right, to me and technology, don't, I can't be bothered with it. <laughs> I can't be bothered. There's more, oh. more things to do in life than sit down at a computer. Absolutely. I was going to say that surfing's been the great love of my life, and has it been similar for you Gwen? Oh definitely oh lovely yes I mean we're very lucky aren't we to be able to appreciate it It, to you know it's captive us and uh, we would be very lucky by it I think and I think more people are catching on that uh, it is a lovely sport. Thanks for listening with us today if you have a spare moment please leave us a review or consider sharing an episode with a friend both help us to find the very best stories from our global community of water people. This episode was edited by Ben Alexander. The podcast soundtrack was composed by Shannon Sol Carroll, with additional tunes improvised by Dave and goofy-footed legends Neil Purchase Jr. and Christian Barker. We'll be continuing today's conversation on Instagram, where we're at Water People Podcasts.